Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Father, thank you for this day that you've made for us to rejoice and be glad. Thank you for a place to worship in spirit and in truth. Thank you for the gathering of those who love you that know Jesus Christ and believe that he was crucified, he was buried and rose again. Father, we want to say thank you to you for championing our salvation. We want to say thank you for forgiving our sins and bringing us to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would strengthen us today, Lord. We give you thanks for the blessings that are in our families, in our marriages, in our children, in our finances, in our calling, Lord. We pray, Father God, that you raise us up to be champions in this generation. We pray that we would be your champions, O oh God. We pray that the word this morning would be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, that it would be a good seed planted in good hearts that bring forth good fruit, Lord. Father, when the devil says we can't, Lord, we can say we can do all things in Christ who strengthens us, that the things that are impossible for man are possible for you, Lord. We pray, Father God, that you fill us with your spirit and with your truth and your perspective. We give you thanks for these things in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, and amen. We've been talking uh, for several weeks now and teaching on the principles of our calling. Uh, Revelations chapter 3 has been our foundational verse, uh, verse uh, chapter 3, verse 19, where it says that God stands at the door and knocks. Uh, verse 20. Let's go to verse 20. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. And that's the initial introduction of God to any man. He knocks on the door of your heart. If anyone hears my voice. And so uh, the devil does a good job of distracting the voice of God. Um, in Texas at the intense um, conference, of father and son conference that we went to, not this weekend, but last weekend. Um, I said that many times the voice of offense is louder than the voice of God. A lot of people are not listening to the voice of God. The voice of God makes you a champion. It, it really directs your path. It gives you insight. It gives you strength. Um, other voices debilitate and diminish and distract you and lead you astray. So if you hear his voice, open the door. He'll come into your life and he'll fellowship with you and you with him. It'll be a It'll be a, a, a union here. And then verse 21 says, after hearing his voice, opening the door, and sitting down with him, you will sit on his throne. And we said that to him who overcomes, that word overcomes is to him who is a victor, to, not a victim. A lot of times the devil wants to keep you as a victim. And you're not a victim. You're a victor. You're victorious in Christ Jesus. He leads you to triumph. He will grant you to sit on his throne. Just as he overcame, he is a champion and sat on his father's throne. So last week we talked about being a champion and that that is our high call. And if you were to follow this book to the T, if you were to obey its every commandment, you would be the head and not the tail. You would be on top of life. He says, I have come that you have life and life in abundance. The expression of what God intended was not misery. A lot of people are committing suicide because they think life is too big for them because they haven't heard the words of this book. I probably would have taken my life also until the day I heard that God had a plan for my life. 
And so that's so important that we hear the words of this book so that we start pursuing not only being hearers of the word, but actually applying the word. The difference between wisdom and understanding is wisdom is the knowledge of what you need to do. Understanding is doing it. A lot of people know the Bible, but very few do. So they have wisdom and no understanding. But we have wisdom and understanding when we listen to God's word and we actually do what he says. Uh, yesterday at our conference, Iron Sharpens Iron at Jacksonville, um, gathered with 50 men in our workshop, in our seminar, and the men were almost as if they were listening to what I was saying for the first time. For the first time, they heard uh, Galatians 1.15, that God's plan for your life was not just today, not just yesterday, but it says, when it pleased God from my mother's womb, he called me. Why weren't we listening? Why was the voice of God so distant? If God was calling from our mother's womb, why weren't we separated for his cause? Why did we get mixed up in a whole bunch of other things? So we come to the word of God and we hear um, a lot of people want the bottom line. They're like, you know, just, just give me that one thing because it's too confusing to know everything. And so we see that somebody came up to Jesus with that attitude in Matthew 22, verse 39. And they just asked him outright, right? In, you know, don't run around no more. Quit giving me the run around. Um, let's go back to 36. I'm sorry. Matthew 22, 36. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Just give me the, I, I just want to go for the top. Uh, a friend of ours, you guys will meet. Uh, we ha we've extended invitations to him. Uh, he lives in California. He was 19 years old. And um, he was a skateboard champion in high school. And when he graduated from high school, he went to a career uh, counselor, and, and he asked this question. What is the most difficult thing to study? Listen, that wasn't the question I asked. <laughs> a lot of us ask, what is the easiest thing, or how could I do it fast? This guy, his name is Chad Williams. He went to a career counselor, and he says, what is the most difficult task in life? And one of the things that was right there at the top was a Navy SEAL. And he says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to become a Navy SEAL. And so uh, he, his father says, you're not going to be able to make it. You're too small. You're too weak. Navy SEALs are tough. They're, they're gru they go through grueling aspects. So his father uh, was very wealthy and hired a Navy SEAL. Because he didn't want his son to become a Navy SEAL. So his, fire, uh, his father hired a Navy SEAL and says, I want you to take my son out there. And I want you to make him run 100 miles. I want to, you be grueling. You make him suffer. You make him throw up. You make him, ah. And uh, he took him out there. And uh, so they spent three days together up in the hills in California uh, in, in the heat in the summertime. And uh, after the three days, they came back, and, and the Navy says, uh, Sir, um, I'm sorry to have to inform you, but your son did everything. And I think he's going to be a Navy SEAL. <laughs> so Chad Williams went into the academy, and he became a Navy SEAL. And he has incredible stories of how um, he was able to fight in war and battle 
and, uh, and he got saved in Greg Glory's church years later. Uh, as a young man, I think he was one of the youngest Navy SEALs ever to graduate from the academy. So um, this man also is asking the Lord, Lord, just give, me, give it to me. Give it to me as it is. Tell me. What is, what is it that I have to do to prove that I'm a Christian? What, what is it? What, what is this substance of uh, teacher? What is the greatest commandment in the teaching that God wants us to know? And so Jesus is that type of a person. He's not running around. And he answered him in verse 37, the, the greatest commandment in the law is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Make him the centrality of your life. That's, that's what it is. It's, there's nothing greater. And then he says like this in verse 38, he says, and love your neighbor. This, well, he says, this is the first and great commandment. In verse 39, he says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the two focuses are relationship with God and the second relationship with others. And you know what is our travesty? That we're running from God and we don't like others very much. Selfishness does not allow us to be able to relate with somebody else's life. Christianity, followers of Christ, put others before themselves. They show up to a plight and they're not concerned with telling their story they're concerned about that person being able to share their heart. So this is, this is phenomenal. And so I've named this, if we're going to be champions, obviously we need to know what to champion. And what I've named this sermon is championing relationships. Champion the relationship that we have with God and championing the relationship we have with others is the primary focus of the heart of a man or woman of God. So in biblical priorities and ranking, importance, healthy relationships are the most important things in this life. You could tell your neighbor, amen. amen. Having healthy relationships. And so that's why God puts us in relationships like marriage, which is the first of the relationship. It's not good that man would be alone. He needs to be able to relate with a wife and... Um, that's one of the most challenging aspects of our existence. In fact, I want to say that marriage is the training ground for relationships to all other relationships. If you can't get along with your wife, you're not going to get along with anybody. And all the women say, amen. If you have issues, it's because you're being selfish. Uh, yesterday, the president from Promise Keepers was talking about how... He tried to tell his wife uh, she made him some biscuits. And so he tried to say, well, honey, my mom doesn't make biscuits like this. Those are the wrong words. He says, I've been married now for 50 years. I've never had biscuits again. Because <laughs> she took the attitude, then let your mom make your biscuits. So we need wisdom there. Uh, but a marriage relationship is so, so amazing that it prepares us for all other relationships. And there's where we're going to grow in maturity. 
we come out of, I remember the first day I was married and I got back from our honeymoon and we were in our bed and it takes a while before you notice somebody else is in bed with you. So the phone rang on the other side of the bed and I just trampled Yvette. <laughs> You know, I just crawled over there real quick to grab the phone. And I forgot she was there, so I trampled her. So, so being able to live with somebody is a challenge. Um, having to wait for them before you go out to dinner. How many? How many have to wait a little bit? <laughs> Absolutely. It's a little waiting time there. It, it grows your patience. So, this is what God wants for us to do. And today we're in the house of God, and we're going to be champions for God. And He wants us to champion a relationship with him and with others. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the, the, the new aspect of who we are in Christ, he says that we're a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old ways of your expressions are past. Behold, there's new, all things have been become new. There's, there's a new approach in life. And the new approach in life follows in the next verse, which says that he in this new creation has made us, all things are of God. God is the expression of who has reconciled us to himself. The very first thing that God does when we come to him is he fixes our relationship with him. And, and for those of you who thought that Christianity was standing in a holy place and lifting your eyes to heaven and saying, finally, finally, I'm, I'm going to heaven and everything is between me and God. The reality is, just like God reconciled himself and fixed a relationship with you, you are called through Jesus Christ to have a ministry of reconciliation. What's that mean? You now have to have healthy capacities to relate to others. In other words, now the focus is not you in a selfish mindset. It's the capacity that you have to connect with others. Verse 19, that is, God was in Christ. He was the provision in Christ reconciling the world to himself by not imputing their trespasses to them. Why is it that we would not have a relationship with other people? Does anybody know why? Because some people are difficult. And so if we were to lift up all the difficulties, we would have no relationship with these people. But God did not put our trespasses against us. Um, he committed to us the word of reconciliation, the capacity to talk differently. And so now it's a different challenge. It's a totally different approach. Uh, Colossians 3.12 talks a little bit about this. Since you have been chosen by God... You are, have been picked holy and beloved. Begin to put in your life tender mercies. Begin to dress with kindness. You know what my facial expression was towards other before Jesus Christ came into my heart? What you looking at? What you looking at? What you, you talking to me? You begin to pick fights. You have a countenance that has no peace. You're waiting for somebody to step on your toes. There's some people that, that open their windows in the morning and they just can't wait till the neighbor comes over and gets on their grass. Oh, if he gets on my grass, I'm just going to let him have it. And they wait all day. And then in the afternoon when you come back from work, they open the window and they're checking again if you're on their grass. 
And that's a miserable way to live. A Christian doesn't live like that. He's putting on tender mercies. He has an expression of kindness. So now, ever since Jesus came in my heart, I don't look at people like, what you looking at? Picking fights. You, you want to go outside? I go, my expression is different. It's a kind expression. It's an inviting. It's a welcoming expression. That's only Jesus in me. That's only the Lord in us who is kind for real, who is merciful, who is humble, who is meek, who is long-suffering. Could you imagine having an issue with somebody who puts on tender mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering? Absolutely not. How many would pick a fight with their wife if she was full of tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering patience? It wouldn't happen. There wouldn't be a single issue between us. Um, it was funny, yesterday as some of the speakers were speaking at the men's conference, all, all the brats were, were telling on their wives. Can you believe that? We gathered 300 men, we're going to go to a ah, men's conference, my wife, my wife, they were telling on their wives, I was like, how pathetic could this be, how sad. These, these are the young men who never grew up, and they think that their wife is their mother. I know it doesn't happen here. Wellington Book wrote a book. He wrote a book called, Your Wife is Not Your Mama. He says like this in the book. He says, you know why your wife doesn't clean like your mama, doesn't iron like your mama, doesn't cook like your mama, doesn't feed you like your mama? Because she ain't your mama. <laughs> so these are the things that God expects for us to be putting on in our life. And, and so you could turn these things around and you see why people have problems. They're always expecting somebody else to have a different approach when you are the new creation in Christ. When all the old things have been put past, now everything's been made new. We have a different approach. He keeps on saying that these things are put on because we've been chosen by God with tender mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering, patience. For what? Verse 13, so that we can get along. So that you can bear, so you can put up with one another. So that if it's so overbearing and people have offended you so strongly, you don't call it quits there, but you forgive. You let go. You're able to release people. And if anyone has a complaint, if it gets really tough and it gets very overbearing and you've already forgiven and they continue to press, then you be like Jesus. He says, and if you have a complaint against other people, even as Christ forgave you, so you can do or must do. Yeah, it's a must. It's an obligation. It's a commandment. It's not if you feel like doing it. You must do it. I asked a man one time that was married, and his wife was super overbearing. I said, I don't know how you do it. And he answered me like this. I asked him, I said, listen, what if I ever fall in the case to marry a miserable woman? What would I do? How, how are you supposed to deal with that? And he says, I have no choice. That was a wise answer. He was going to love her like Christ loved the church regardless. And so that's, that was a good answer. You don't have a choice. You're called to that. And so verse 14, above all these things, put love, put on love, 
which is the bond of perfection. If you want to really get along with everybody, begin to love them. And that if you love them, there will be no offense greater than the love you have for them. Verse 15, then the peace of God will rule your hearts because you were called in one body to have thankfulness. As we consider what we're called to do to love God with all our heart and love others as ourselves as the greatest two commandments. Um, Matthew twenty two forty says that these two aspects of life is what the entire Bible is about. On these two commandments of loving God and loving others, every aspect of biblical instruction, all the law and everything that the prophets wrote about in the Bible is upheld, is honored. Sometimes we only want a relationship to last for a moment. But if God would have it, and this is important what I'm about to say here. If God would have it, every one of the relationships that God brings us into are to last a lifetime. That's true connection. A lot of people only want to connect for a season. Well, I'll love them through the end of the summer, then I'll disappear. I'll never want to see this guy again. I tell you that, that one of the greatest gifts Christ has given me in, in my Christianity is that when I meet somebody and God connects our hearts and we're able to relate on God's level of relationship, it's a lifetime relationship. So it, it was like several uh, years ago, I would meet Jurgen, and we met in a professional relationship at my law office, and we exchanged the knowledge of God, and, and he came to the Lord, and, and we've traveled to nations to serve God together. It's a lifetime relationship. It's not a moment. It's not based on, on faults or situations. It's a connection that God does, and even with his children, with Mauricio and Sophia, and, and I can't wait, Jeremy, he's going to be a world changer. The, these men will, will impact the nationship in a relationship we have because I've decided to put selfishness away, I decided to pay, put criticism to a side, and our passion is Jesus Christ, to honor him, to love him, to grow in him. And so that's what he does, and that could only be seen in biblical terms of Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, when, when um, Naomi tells her daughter-in-laws, listen, we've come to the end of our relationship, we've come to the end of our road, and Ruth turns around and says, listen, never ask me to leave you. Our connection is a lifetime connection. Don't ask me to turn back from following you. For wherever you go, I'll go. And wherever you lodge and dwell, I'll live. And your people shall be my people. And your God shall be my God. This is a lifelong connection. This is not based on temporary benefits, temporary. Uh, verse 17, she even says the most powerful words. Where you die, I will die. And there, I'm going to be buried. This relationship is to the end of life. What, what a powerful expression of loyalty, of connection, of relationship. And, and so, the Lord do to me also, if, and more, if anything but death parts you and me. That, that, that's, a, that, that's a powerful expression of somebody who's connected with those that are around them. And I ask God... In, in all my relationships that that would be true. 
that that would be a reality. And, and I, I tell people all the time, I'm not into ministry for the moment. I'm not here for a second. I'm here for the long haul. And I want my grandchildren to be friends with your grandchildren. I, I want my great-grandchildren to grow up and to know that they, they've been called to change the world in the same aspect. Um, there are people... I was listening to this about two years ago. The difference between a city dog and a country dog. Has everybody ever heard that? The city dog, you barely open the door and he wants to run. And you never catch him again. You'll be chasing him for blocks down the road. Oh, yeah, but Tito, get back here. Come back here, Tuto, Toto. And you're trying to stick him back in his yard where you feed him, where you take care of him. And the guy doesn't want to be there. But a country dog, you, you don't even have to fence him in. He's always on the front porch, and he's not going to move there. He never needs a fence. He's not there uh, being forced to be in a place. So ask yourself if you're a city dog or a country dog. <laughs> you're dying to get away from the relationships God has given you. you. You're a sick puppy. You're a sick dog. But a country dog lavishes the fact that he's not being forced to be there. He loves to be there. And he defends his territory. And nobody better mess with that place. And so we don't want to be city dogs. We want to be country dogs. We want to be faithful. Old faithful. So we need to learn how to uh, resolve conflict and, and difficulties and differences. And that's going to be, uh, that's going to be the issue. Uh, we need to be purposeful, knowing that the devil wants to destroy these relationships because they're, they're full of God's plan. Philippians 2.5, the Bible says the way to do that is to um, let the mind that was in Christ also be in you. Make sure that, that you have the humility to be able to prolong the relationships that God has given you. Because the devil does incredible strategy and and he masterminds the destruction of relationships uh, we were talking about how uh, few people use the words i love you that's that's a super powerful expression of connection i believe in you i'm sorry forgive me i was wrong all these things uh, make your relationships intentional in John chapter 15, verse 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you slaves. I, never, I, I no longer call you my servants, but I, now I call you my friends. We've come to a closer relationship. Um, friends are, are not in positions. Maybe to work someplace, you, because of the benefit of what you receive, you're there. But a friend... Um, has no exchange causing them to stay the course. He's there uh, in the good times and the bad times. It's good to have relationship with friends. It's good to be close to people and, and to be next to one another. Um, to be sensitive. Look what it says in Ephesians 4, verse 2. Oh, we start in verse 1. Therefore... I, as the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk differently, to walk worthy of your call, which, which you were called. So if we're going to uh, love God and love others, uh, verse 2 says, with all lowliness, 
with all gentleness, with all patience, bearing, putting up with one another in love. Throughout the scripture, we see the constant connect. In verse 3 says, endeavoring to keep union of the spirit of God in the bond of peace. You have to question yourself if you get along with no one. You have to question what you've done. Maybe Philippians 2 verse 3 is, is an important expression where it says this lowliness, don't, don't do anything out of self-pursuit or for your own. It's a lowliness of mind making, when you value others, esteem others better than yourselves. Um, that, that can translate in other people's issues are more important than yours. I, I love, um, I've, I've become a little bit sensitive to this aspect. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll come into a meeting with two or three guys, four guys. It doesn't matter where I'm at. It could be one of these ministry conferences or it could be a, a lunch or dinner or a gathering, and I just come, and, and I'll begin to count how many times the guy who's speaking is talking about himself. I went fishing because my daughter called me, because my mom doesn't want to talk to me. It's, it, the whole conversation is all focused on themselves. And, and sometimes, uh, when, as a pastor, obviously, you're, you're scoping in on listening more than you're doing the talking, um, I always ask myself, this person who's worried about not having a relationship with their wife, are they worried about other people's marriages? Are they championing helping other people reconcile? And they don't. They're just worried about their wife. And if everything got along with their wife, they would disappear, him and his wife, and we would never see him again. But God wants them to be concerned about other marriages. God fixed my manhood issue many years ago, but I'll never forget, and that's why I continue to go places to help other men so that others' issues are more important than myself. And then that's the place where God gives you a place of prominence because it's not about you. We're not doing things for our selfish pursuit. Uh, a lot of people, we, we take books all over the world, and so yesterday we took probably uh, about 120 books, and I would hand the book to a man that was crossing. You could tell it's broken. And he's like, how much do I owe you? It's like, you can't because I'm not doing this for money. I'm not doing this to receive. If I was doing things for money, I'd, I'd go and become uh, one of these power lawyers. But to be able to be a lifeline in the relationship, you know what I wait for? That phone call five, ten years later who says, thank you. Yes. You changed my life. Amen. You put my issues before your own. So this is, this is us. These are, these are, we're championing that call of God. Considering others more important than yourself. Super important in this call to sacrifice for the benefit of others. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. What Jesus did to restore our relationship with him is that being rich, he became poor. Having no necessity, he made his poverty a, a reality 
so that through his poverty, we might be rich. That's, that's called um, transferring equity. You don't have no issues. So you become, you become intertwined with their issue. So that as you're intertwined with their issue, now what you're li- leaving them allows them to excel at the expense of your time. You becoming poor in time and talents. Uh, I told the men... A lot of men wanted to go with me to Jacksonville. I said, no, you guys were away from home last weekend from your wife and children, so stay this weekend. I'll go real quick to Jacksonville, and I'll come back. So, and I told the men of Jacksonville, don't think that I'm up here because I have extra time. I've sacrificed time with my wife and kids to be up here with you guys. So when you're going to be doing, championing the call of God, the sacrifice was you're going to transfer your riches and become poor, that through your poverty, others might benefit and become wealthy. Here it is in 2 Corinthians 8, 12, where it says, For there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has, and not according to what he does not have. You're starting to understand that is the wealth of God's provision. Uh, verse 13 says, For I do not mean that others should be eased and burdened, but by the equality, each one of us has something the other needs. Now at this time, your abundance may supply their lack. What you have extra of, if God's already healed your marriage and your relationship with your wife, spend some time giving others what you guys are enjoying. Uh, yesterday, Alex and Isa put up a, f- a photo of them smiling and enjoying what God has done. And I'm sure there's thousands of people that want the formula. What, what is it that you guys have? And, and they should readily offer it to all those miserable couples that do not enjoy their companionship. So that's what this is talking about. That others should be eased as we now concentrate on their need. Verse 14, but by the an equality that now at this time... Your abundance may supply their lack, and their abundance may also supply your lack. There's an exchange that there might be equality in the relationship. Now, some people, when they hear a message like this, and remember always to do this, rightly divide the word of truth. That means that there's a line that weighs truth with deception. And whenever we share a message like this, somebody now wants to go kiss an alligator and hug a python. But healthy relationships involves knowing who to stay away from. Because all the tree huggers will go and they'll start saying, well, you got to love them, you got to love them. The Bible says there's certain people you need to avoid. And, and certain people are toxic and dangerous to be around and you're not to relate with. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 16, verse 17, try to find out those that are walking in a spirit that is dangerous. I urge you, brethren, put a mark on those who are always disrupting relationships, that are causing divisions, that are continually being offended, and don't walk in the teaching which you have learned. And the Bible says, avoid them. Have no contact with them. Try not to fall in their snare and their (laughs) trap. Well, I tried to love my mother-in-law so bad. You got to be careful. You got to be careful. 
Because the Bible says, verse 18, that these do not serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Such are, do not serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but they serve their own interest. And they try with smooth words and flattering speech to confuse the heart of the simple, to deceive the heart of the simple. 2 Samuel 23, verse 6, <clears throat> David tells us to stay away from sons of rebellion. These people that walk contrary to the spirit of grace, they're like, but I want to be friends. And you're like, <laughs> it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. These sons of rebellion are like thorns that must be throw, thrust away because they cannot be, there's no way that you can be friendly with them. Because it's vicious, the relationship. Verse 7, the sons of rebellion that are like thorns, the man who touches them must be armed with an iron shaft, and they shall utterly be burned in a fire, in a place. Um, and so there, there are certain discernment and discretions. Uh, usually the wisdom is this. If a wise man is staying away from a fool, you should follow his example. Proverbs 13 Verse 20 says, those who fellowship with wise people will be wiser, but those who accompany fools shall be destroyed. The reason we don't hang out with them is not because we don't like them or we have something against them. The issue is if we hang out with them and are with them, we suffer the consequences that they are intertwined with. So God doesn't want you to stay away because he's being evil. He's keeping you safe. Because you're going to find yourself in the wrong mix at the wrong time, and it'll cost you your life. Let's stand up this morning and thank the Lord for calling us to be champions. Uh, the word and his meditation is a gift of God for our lives. We'll continue. This is not like something that happens overnight. Uh, you do not be friendly and, and connect with people just automatically. But I believe as we sat under the ministry of the word of God that we are being transformed and perfected to our high call to be champion in our relationships. And, and don't allow the devil to lead you down the pathway of isolation, of disconnect, of being rude and vulgar and being offensive. Um, ask God to pour out his grace upon your life that you might be lowly, meek, uh, humble, uh, that you esteem others above yourself, that your your language, your communication will be fruitful. Father, thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you that we're learning out of your word these things that focus our attention upon living a life worthy to be exampled, Lord. You uh, have given us the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry to connect, to converse, to exchange, to dialogue, to be able to win those that are still are not connected to you, Lord. We pray that your spirit would be upon us, that you give us discernment of time, of words, of seasons, Lord, that we might be able to connect with others because our connection with them will determine where they dwell in eternity. Our relationship with them determines the blessing that will befall them and their children. We pray, Father God, that we would be instruments in your hands, that we would be vessels of honor, that we would be filled with discretion and discernment of truth. Allow us to fellowship with wisdom. Allow us to avoid the snare of destruction. 
Crown us with your favor, Lord, and use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. The house of God says amen, amen, and amen. Greet one another in the love of the Lord.